right now, I think what matters the most is the relevance of the technology we are developing. And so from this perspective, I think the artistic aspect is more uh, important right now because uh, creating a weird or uncanny technology that's also um, like the, when the, the people, the, the, everybody see that, they will question their own interaction with technology and they will question their own desires technologies. And that's something today that I think is really relevant. And then from this perspective, an art piece in the museum can question more the use of technology than a research paper. But right now, there, there is also this uh, the thing that do we need to always push technology and technical innovation or high technical innovation? And that's something that I'm really questioning. That's why I'm, I'm trying to exploring, uh, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, new materials and alternatives that may, may be a bit more uh, sustainable, but also a bit more resilient into the way the robots behave, into the way robots look and feel. profile. So I come from a design background, art and design background, and I learned the the ways of Fab Lab, digital fabrication. Then I moved slightly to HCI, to human-computer interaction. And during my PhD and my postdoc in HCI, I learned how to work with material, with soft materials, with silicone. And I made several contributions in, in human-computer interaction, but also in fabricating uh, soft sensors uh, and and stuff anthropomorphic interfaces. So, the core of my of my of my work so far is halfway between fabrication, design, and human computer interaction. Mm-hmm. Great. So, even Kirstas Kiev, since you have this different expertise, if you look so for robotics, what may be still challenging or maybe granted challenges if you look. That's something maybe not connected or very challenging still. So to me, the, the, one of the main challenge of soft robotic is not the control or actuation anymore, I think, but the challenge is the materials. And, and I think now we need to, me, to, to move beyond the traditional uh, materials used for soft ro- robotics, which are silicon. Uh, why? Well... I think there is going to be some challenging times ahead of us in the next like 20 or 30 years from now. And and there are plenty of new materials that are rising, the new fabrication processes. And I'm thinking here of um, bioplastic or all biodegradable materials. And now the question is like how to make uh, soft, uh, elastic, stretchable, or actuated interfaces made of new materials. So that's one that I think that's one main challenge, one of the main challenge for soft robotic. Uh, I see a second challenge, which is in the the look, the aspect, uh, and the design. That's where where I express myself more artistically, and and I think everything related to bio inspiration, but not in terms of functionalities, but also in look and feel, that's something very crucial for the, the social acceptability of sub-robotic interfaces. And that's something that that that's some knowledge that needs to be borrowed from art, science, design, and that needs to be embedded into uh, sub-robotic research and material science research. Mm-hmm. I really like your approach. I think you have this kind of, I don't know, unique touch, I believe, in what you do. I can feel that in, in your work. 
But maybe I'm curious to ask you in the first part of the actuation. What, for example, in software robotics field, we speak about pneumatic actuation. Sometimes it could be bulky. And what do you, what's your take on actuation, firstly, in software robotics? Since your end goal is to create something that can have this connection with human and be socially accepted as well. But in the actuation itself, what is your take on what's actually done so far? On actuation? Well, well I, 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 that, that's a difficult question because actuation, obviously, there are several ways to do that. And as you know, every ways have pros and cons. Uh, I think uh, pneumatic actuation is very rooted in the field since a long time. And now, for sure, the, the pumps and the valves are getting smaller. But the, the main, uh, I would say the main uh, issue we are still facing is the, like the air, air compressors. We need, we need some, uh, we need space to run a pneumatic actuation. Now, there are all those um, polymers that can do shape change. You know, you might be familiar with uh, shape uh, memory alloy that can be embedded into the materials to, to change the form. That's also a, a nice way to 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 provide a actuation, and what I think is that when the, a lot of work remain to be done into the electroactive polymers, and especially now, to my knowledge, the EAP have been explored well with silicon substrate. But uh, I think the, the past few years, we gained a deeper understanding of, of, of uh, carbon, like graphene, graphene, carbon nanotubes, uh, all those type of materials that couldn't be done easily uh, before. Now that can be done more easily. They have some interesting uh, mechanical and electrical properties. And mixing that with other uh, materials and biomaterials can lead to new ways of actuation. But, but actuation is not... Uh, uh, I would say it's not something uh, I am personally interested in my research, uh, like the means of actuation, because I rely on the work of others to do that. Um, however, uh, I am collaborating with uh, some colleagues here uh, in Paris, in uh, Université uh, Pierre-Marie Curie, uh, that are developing new ways of conforming and forming the materials to minimize the... Um, the the inputs, the in the the the, the air in in a flow, the the input airflow, and to maximize the shape movement and the shape outcome. So it's it's another way of thinking, uh, the optimization of the, the 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 actuation by thinking how we can mechanically optimize the shapes to uh, minimize the actuation. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's very interesting. One can I elaborate more here because now you bring another element. I, I would just ask about the material, but before going to the material part, now we mentioned the shape or architecture and the energy, if we can say here, the pressure. And I find this interesting concept that to minimize the pressure and maximizing the the shape, if I understood. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, so it, it's a work uh, made by uh, Benoit Armand on what he called baromorphic materials. So it's like optimizing the air channel within the shapes to create some some complex uh, volumetric uh, shapes out of uh, sheet materials so it's really like the, the 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 movement from one dimension to two dimension while optimizing the 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 input and and that obviously uh, it's some some like uh, you know some some highly mathematical and 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 highly uh, uh, theoretical work that uh, that have their their prototypes made physically, and and my role uh, in this work is to take this technology, those concepts, those formulas, and to to create objects uh, and interaction out of it. And so right now I am involved in uh, several projects, and one of them uh, consists of making some uh, some um, shape changing drones out of. Uh, out of um, made out of helium. I mean, all those kind of technologies that was used before, uh, that were complicated, complicated to make. Now we can we can rethink how to make them, how to build them, uh, thanks to those tools. And there is another uh, challenge in 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 using those uh, 
optimized uh, technology, the airflows. It's, it's, it's difficult to describe because it's uh, very visual, uh, but basically uh, a shape can be made out of really tiny, uh, tiny air pockets, as you know, <laughs> that's soft robotics. Uh, but by changing the, the localization, the, the width, uh, the thickness of those channels, uh, you can you can um, you, you can optimize the, the 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 shape and the mechanical output. And and basically those forms they look like a maze maze of lot of channels airflows. And uh, we are developing some digital fabrication tools to 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 guide designers uh to help designers making the shape they want when all of that is very uh confusing but it's uh some uh early 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 prototypes uh and that's something related to to the the, the energy uh that are that, that is crucial for soft robotics great so i want to go back for your main goal as a designer now your goal is to design something maybe as we said Connecting with human. Can you tell us more about that design process? What's the first step you're looking for in the design? Since maybe the last stage is not considered uh, maybe commonly in soft robotics, but can you tell us more about the design? What's the first thing that's significant to you in the design? Okay, so, so my main uh, interest in how I went to, to the soft robotic fields despite my, my will almost that's um so originally I wanted to create some artificial skin. Artificial skin for robots and soft for soft robots. But the tricky part as you know it's to embed the sensor in the in the material. Because because silicon uh, it's it's difficult to work with, it can tear, uh it it, it needs to stretch, but some uh, hard component cannot stretch within that. And that was uh, the main challenge. So the thing is, we do know that the human skin, the human body, it is something stretchable. It is something uh, that has embedded sensors in a way, right? The, that's all nerves, our nerve cells. And so I figured like that, okay, why not doing uh, biomimetism? Not, uh, not just to reproduce the mechanical uh, aspect, but also uh, all the sensing aspects, the layers, how they are made, how they are composed, their viscosity, and so on. So uh, to go back to your question, uh, what I made, uh, what I'm making in my in my project is that I'm always using the human as starting point of my research, the human or, or the animals. So I, I, f I start by having a, a deep uh, look at Okay, in case of artificial skin, I'm trying to have a look at uh, how, how the, the skin is made of uh, in humans, what are the different layers, what are those layers, uh, viscosities, mechanical properties, what are the, those skin layers, what are their impacts on the sensing. Yet I'm trying to do that also to look at animals, uh, okay, from insects to uh, mammals, what are the difference, how, why do they work uh, like that, and what is the impact of the the mechanical impact on the on the sensing, and then uh, I'm trying to look only at the material aspect. So, uh, for artificial skin, uh, so the human skin is roughly composed of three different layers. We have the epidermis on top. The epidermis there, that's where we have the, the to put it quickly, the, the pigmentation and also the surface textu textures. In the dermis, we have mainly our nerve cells and all our sensing cells. And then we have this layer of epidermis, uh, hypodermis, which is a uh, mix between muscles and, and body fat. And basically, you can represent this, the, the skin as at this sandwich of, of three layers. And so what I did in my work was to systematically try different materials to reproduce the epidermis, the dermis, and the hypodermis. So I started by, by exploring the top layer, which is here I'm not talking about uh, sensing, I'm not talking about actuation, I'm just talking about the pure like visual aspect and the, the, the kinesthetic aspect, the kinesthetic properties. Because 
uh, what matters for human skin is the surface textures. It can be the the pigmentation. It can be the the human hair that that are, that plays a very important role, both for sensing and also for for, for perception. So um, I looked at various silicones, obviously. Uh, to create this, this this layer, the ways to create some textures that is very uh, human-like. And so once I had this done, I moved to another layer. So out at the layer under term is how to reproduce it, what is the, the its viscosity, its young modulus, how it behaves to stretch, um, and how to put sensors within it, which which is tricky, uh, as as the, the other researcher might know. And and then similarly the hypodermis, which is uh, like a body, uh, like something like like body fat and muscles. That's that obviously it, uh, it has different, totally different uh, viscosity. It's more viscous. Uh, it has different mechanical properties, and yet it is very crucial. This layer is very crucial for interaction because if you think of uh, an interaction, if I want to touch uh, an artificial skin. I want I want it to behave like human the, the like the human skin, and how does the human skin behave? Well, if I press it, it's kind of soft, squishy. My finger is 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 inside, or I can pinch it. I can pinch it. I can turn it. I can twist it. Which which are gestures that does that are, that needs some specific materials, and so this is my approach. And then comes the 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 the, the sensing part. So how to how to create sensing. And so I looked at the different uh, like nerve cells that compose the human skin. I tried to find the the tactile acuity. So how much is needed to sense? Then what should I sense? Should I sense only human touch, human contact? What does the human body sense? So I looked at that. And uh, how do we implement that in terms of technology? And here, that's where the my my, my designer my, my my chip designer side <laughs> comes in, and and I I really hate uh, complicated technologies because because that's something I cannot afford, and that's something that I found like yeah that's not so, so something I want. So I I try to look at at the ways uh, to sense in our surrounding. And, and we are lucky because we have a lot of sensing interfaces, and that's the phones that are right there. And so, and so uh, my approach, after dissecting uh, the human body uh, into those different layers, I try to dissect the technology into like those different pieces. And so uh, the skin of the smartphone and the mobile device, it's, it's, it's made uh, to sense, right, the, 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 the screen. And... So I try to look at uh, what type of technology is inside. So it's usually mutual capacitance. So it's technology that allows to sense uh, human touch. And so what I did, I, I really I, I stripped off some components from a broken smartphone, and I tried to make some some PCBs uh, out of that to 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 multiplex the channels and to put that inside silicon and and uh, roughly uh, for for a product of artificial skin, I found that uh, if I can put some uh, very cheap, uh, very like, easily available, um, stretchable conductive yarn within the silicon. So it's stretchable, so it can retain, it can, it can maintain the, the, the fantastic properties, stretchable, stretchability and elastic properties of the silicon. And it is conductive, which is perfect to perform uh, mutual capacitance sensing. And so, and so uh, to go back to your question, my, my approach is uh, dissecting, dissecting, dissecting and re reproducing both uh, the human body and the existing technologies. And I try to combine them, to combine that in a, in a, yeah, in a easy and cheaper uh, and cheap way. <laughs> Interesting. So maybe a couple of questions. The first part of that, replicating the different layers of skin, the three layers. Can you tell us more about that? Interface between because in terms of robotics, we still have this kind of issue of the interface between different materials, structure. For you, what's the technique to make sure the interplay with each other or coupled with each other in a way is that you can have a homogeneous skin? Um, so usually, so if you bind silicon and silicon, it's binding very well. So that's that's not an issue. The issue is to bind. Uh, non-silicon with hard materials 
and then so if I want to put this skin on top of another. And so I have two uh, main principles that I use. First, the viscosity of the silicone itself. Uh, if I use a very uh, tacky silicone that remains a bit like wet and, and tacky, I can just simply put uh, this uh, some artificial skin or some sensing uh, layer on top of a hard part, and it's going to stay kind of stuck there. I mean, obviously, if you if you remove it, it can it can it's going to be removed. But that's something that uh, that I usually do. And the second technique, it directly casting uh, on top uh, of the material and making sure that the hard material has some holes, some some mechanical uh, elements that uh, can the silicone can grip onto. And and that is great because uh, I separate the sensing layer from the this like viscous uh, layer. So. Uh, that's the good opportunity to make the two separated, and then I can sandwich whatever uh, material with whatever material. Basically, that's that's how I do. Why separated? Uh, can you brief more? I didn't get why separate. Why separated? Because uh, if I go back to the description of all those different layers, uh, that's something I made by stack. I made one stack uh, is the epidermis, the top layer. One other stack is the dermis. And one other stack is the, the hypodermis, the tacky fat layer. And those different stacks uh, can all have different properties that can be made out of different silicones. They can have different, uh, different uh, mechanical aspect or visual aspect. And so it's meaning that I can uh, eventually like exchange uh, those layers. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but I, I could do that. And I can also cast those layers directly onto the mechanical pieces. And that's where that's where the the fun part begins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it was interesting about the sensors because uh, I saw the videos you you already did about square lattice sensing, that square lattice. And I, I want to ask you, since you mentioned you try to understand how the maybe the nerve or the sensing in human body or the skin, do you think it has the same architecture square lattice in? However, you thought about other representation beyond the square lattice. I will mention something. I think in one of papers and 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 guests here in podcasts, he, he mentioned that if you use complex pattern, it would be maybe more interesting than a square lattice. And since you have been trying to understand the skin, can you yes, talk about that? Th that's something I, I I deeply believe too. And something interesting uh, as anecdote that we have those. A lot of uh, nerve fibers located at the bulb of our hair, of body hair, of forearm hair. And, and so that's interesting because the hair grow at random spots, and yet that we have all those nerve cells around the, the bulb. And, and obviously, it is much more difficult to make uh, in a fab lab or uh, to make in a very DIY way uh, something with random uh, sensor locations. Why? Because the lattice, it's uh, easier to solder. It's it, it's easier to, to control, basically. And if I... if So I, there are technologies, there are ways, uh, and I experiment with them to put some random dots, random body hair, conductive hair, like you can think of that like hair, and to connect all of that in a huge, in a huge uh, sensor, uh, sensor interface, sensing interface. And I could have decent results, but uh, making a mattress takes like five minutes, and and placing every single uh, every single uh, hair by hand it takes a lot of time. Uh, that's that's that matters to me. Like so, it is possible to make that, and I think uh, we will have a similar tactile acuity, but we could sense, I think, uh, maybe more interesting elements of the of the environments but that's something to me the what matters is the accept, uh, accessibility barrier of the technology and that's something that that I struggled a lot when reading a material science paper and that uh, if if it's not accessible with a lab if it's only accessible with a lab that costs like one million dollar that's that's not a technology that could be reproduced uh, by every by everybody, and making something easy, understandable, and 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 cheap, 
it's also a nice way to to give this technology to students, to master students, to PhD students that will be more creative and have more application scenarios and use this technology onto like different materials and so on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought that it was uh, when I'm looking, for example, the project Polish Center and how it's really open source. I, I like this way of disseminating what you do. And you mentioned the paper and material science. Um, yeah, there are some great paper, but sometimes it's hard to replicate. So you don't know how, how it's how it's done. There's something missing. What is your, what's your take on that? Do you envision something? So, so, yeah, so that, that's something we had in mind for Polysense uh, project. So Polysense project, it's basically to make uh, any fabric conductive. So we coat, we can coat any fabric with uh, 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 a thin layer of carbon particles. And that's the issue uh, my colleague had is that so usually to make some uh, conductive uh, clothes to make some uh, yeah, sensitive clothes, we can create some matrices and we have this layer of piezo-resistive material within a sandwich of electrodes. And this, uh, traditionally, uh, it was a textile material uh, called uh, Ionix, I think. And something like five years ago, the manufacturer stopped to make it. And so there, there, there was a, a shortage and we couldn't do those matrices anymore. And then my, my colleague, uh, Cédric Connet, he was he was really upset about that, <laughs> and and so he took a piece of um, of uh, this conductive fabric and he went to a material science lab in in Portugal and he said, "Oh, I want to make that. Uh, can you look at what is inside and how it is made out?" And so they had this huge uh, machine that could like the you know the material science uh, equipment that costed the millions to precisely look at the amount of of uh, molecules, materials, and particles that were inside this. And the trick uh, was there were some simple ways to do that for material scientists that costed obviously a large amount of equip- equipment. And one of the challenges was for us uh, and for, for my uh, colleague Cédric was to make that in a kitchen, in a fab lab. And then that how, that's how we have with this... Uh, with this uh, Simple material uh, solution mixing uh, chemicals, but uh, iron chloride and, and something else, whatever. And the whole process, we wanted to make the whole process very simple. Like you can throw your fabric in a washing machine. You mix with the two products. Uh, you mix it, you mix it for half an hour. You you re- you remove it from the washing machine, and then you have some materials that are conductive, that are coated with a thin layer of, uh, of carbon particles. And so obviously, because some materials have uh, interesting me- mechanical properties, like a textile, which is woven, so obviously, when you stretch it, when you pinch it, it has some piezo-resistive be- behavior that we can use. And so all of that, this, this whole approach, that's something just I want to make that clear. It's like it's from a design, DIY, and HCI perspective. That's not something that we we precisely characterize. That's just another tool we want to give to students, to master students, to PhD students, uh, for them to, to try to use and to to explore. Yeah. That's a good point. Maybe forgot the material. I want to ask you here because you have been mentioning how to get come up with creative solution, and I'm curious to ask you because I think the, if you have a problem, for example whether in the material or maybe architecture. And for example, you mentioned taking the sensing part from the iPhone, for example, old one. And I think that's a creative thing. But I want to ask you for something, a problem, because I think in the fields of robotics, um, that's my opinion, there's two approaches for solutions of problem. Maybe you have a deeper, deeper look and then you come up with really interesting solution. And maybe the other solution, it worked, but maybe not applicable in the sense that you need something, you can use it and be realistically realistic solution, and sometimes yeah. For example, you try to make something connected with human. Sometimes you try to do something work for maybe yeah, just short time uh, amount of time. So there's different. To be honest, I feel there's different uh, approaches. And for you, the creativity when you try to find solution. How do you think about that in this field? So I, I think the the. 
that, that, that comes the way uh, everybody should define, like everybody defines themselves. And I, I don't want to put myself within a research field because uh, being within a specific research field is somehow like 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 trying to cut you to cut your your knowledge from other other, other fields. Mm. And so I I rely on a mixed research approach like very interdisciplinary so i don't want to stop in material science but i want i will look at some material science paper even if i don't understand anything uh, i'm looking into uh, robotics uh, robotics traditional mechanical robotics that are very crucial uh, soft robotics obviously i've been looking in human computer interaction in digital fabrication and i think by looking at all those fields they all come up with different uh, type of solutions and that's really what matters it's the typology that people use to 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 find a solution and what are the questions they 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 want to solve by their contribution and by looking at that you can see that in hci uh, the researcher are creating creating user-centered design tools uh, in material science uh, or in, in soft robotics or robotics uh, researchers are creating their own machine to create other machines. Uh, in in uh, material science, uh, it's something like really, uh, to me at least, it's uh, more technical, grounded into uh, prior knowledge of of uh, of materiality and in the mechanical aspect of the object. And by looking at all that, uh, I try to 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 get to the research methods they use. I try to use the research method they use. And, and then I come up with ideas. And and something, how to do that easily, uh, I'm not doing that by mals, myself, it's just like collaborating. I have colleagues in material science, I have colleagues in um, in like various domains, and you know, by going to conferences, by uh, going out uh, in uh, in bars here in Paris, when it was a load, uh, you, could, you could have like rich, very rich discussion, very creative discussions. And you you could think creative, uh, creativity as a muscle, right? And and, and, and and that's a muscle you do have to train, especially uh, like the, the young researchers that are listening to this podcast. I think that like every, every problem is solved by, by being creative. That, that's how you solve problems. At some point, you need to be creative. And that, that like training that, I don't know, doing like artistic expression, uh, that's something also that, that I'm doing that fa- favors this serendipity. And... Another aspect, uh, how I, I can come up with those different approaches, is that I, I'm, I'm resigned not to fail. I, I, I cannot accept the failure. And I think there is always a way to do something. And, and if I go back to the project and the, the sensing technologies that developed, I had like countless, countless, countless uh, failed, failed attempts. I think I, think I, have, a, I have a box full of, of, I think, 30 or 40 failed prototype of artificial skin. That some of them were with a single sensor, some of them with, were, were FSR, some of them used other materials than silicon, some of them used conductive textile. Lot, a lot of failed uh, uh, prototypes. But I get digging, I keep to try to go around the technical uh, problems I had, and so So, yeah. So... To put it simply, what matters is the analytical skills. But the analytical skills you can develop by looking at other communities, other projects, other other approach, approaches and research methods. And that's something important. That's great. Maybe since you mentioned the, the process to come up with what you have already now, when you look to the structure, what you did to resemble the human skin, what's maybe missing still? Do you think the material so far is... Yeah, you mentioned there's a need to push here. If you can list the limitation or missing pieces here to resemble exactly what, what you have in nature. Yeah, I, th- I think it, in, overall in the, the, the robotics paper, the, the tangible aspect is something that uh, researchers do not explore much. And that plays a huge role... Uh, like the tangible and the visual aspect, like when a, when an interface, what does it looks like, how it behaves when you touch it, how does it feel when you touch it, uh, that's something that that matters. So for my project, actually, that's why I try to reproduce the the, the wrinkles, uh, the pigmentation, 
the veins uh, and so on. Uh, in, the, in my current uh, my current prototypes, what's missing is that I still don't have some typical human features, which is sweat, uh, heat, uh, human hair, like all of that. That you don't realize that is is crucial but when you touch someone else's skin that's something that you you know should be there and you know it's there that's some that's some some tacit knowledge of what it looks like that you 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 acknowledge basically it comes to the affordances uh, of an object uh, affordances of uh, an actuated interface does it looks like an actuated interface and if i touch it does it feels like it's something that should look like an actuated interface Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what does it take to achieve that? Do you think you mentioned material part? Firstly, what kind of feature do you think is still missing in the material you're using now? Besides that, as well, maybe something about the material as well. So, the material, uh, so the features of the material, it's it's uh, what I said. So, to have heat, so uh, there's the ways to do that, right? Putting resistance within the materials, uh, putting Peltier cells within the materials. Uh, with like temperature or, or humidity, there's something much more tricky because, as you know, silicon it's not like it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's difficult to create some some humidity out of uh, of silicon. That's something that is uh, crucially missing. Uh, and for the other type of uh, other types of soft robots uh, that I see in the literature, uh, yeah, I think what's missing it's more like the the, the form, the molding, some the, the I put some effort into creating some some molds that are not exactly flat, that have some bumps, that have some organic features, and that's something that should be a bit more explored, maybe in the in the in the field, because it it matters obviously for social acceptability, for interaction, and even for actuation. Mm-hmm. Great. So I'm guessing that process is there something was counterintuitive. Uh, the way of the design. If you ca- can share some interesting aspect from the the book, you say the failure steps until you get what you have. Is this something was interesting or maybe counterintuitive? Wow, I, I didn't know that should be working that way. Mm-hmm. You have this interesting moments or counterintuitive to what you thought should work. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. I see what you're what you're saying. The 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 the. the... Yeah, my approach is to think of the technology look and feel first, right? And then and, and I don't care how it can be actuated. I don't care uh, how it will behave. I don't care uh, how, it, how, will, uh, how I will characterize it, how the sensor will behave. What I do care is that does it look something socially acceptable? Does it look like something uh, that does it look like what it should look like <laughs> if I'm making that uh, into a robot? And then, then as a second step, I'm trying to figure out what is the technology that can be developed to I make think, it, yeah, maybe I, I, it, I, I'm not sure if you get my, my question. I was asking if there's something was counterintuitive to the way of thinking about the design. I well, don't know if you get well I, I think that's the counterintuitive part, right? The counterintuitive okay. part is, uh, I mean, to me, it's not to think technology first. Right. It's, oh, okay. It's, it's okay. to think uh, aspects first, and also okay. uh, it's to think of the purpose of the technology, and and that's something. So I'm I'm not uh, necessarily create developing technologies to make some uh, research or scientific contributions, but I'm also I, I also see technologies as a critical design tool to help uh, speculate on the future of interfaces on the look of interfaces. And that's something that is really valuable into different communities. Is to say, okay, like you know, that's that's a typical uh, sentence at the end of the papers, like, oh, we should look deeper in the social acceptability of our robot or whatever. But I'm I'm using that as a starting point, and and and, and see like like developing something like that. I see it's see it's creepy, it's uncanny, it's weird because it's super realistic. It feels realistic. It sends like realistically uh, oh by the way it's made like that but but should we have that and what can we do with that and what does it mean for the future of technology and that's something that's where the counterintuitive part plays 
So I cannot tell you how my brain is wired. I mean, maybe it's wired in the wrong way, <laughs> but yeah, that's my approach to design and to materiality. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, Bart. I want to go back again, this loop, the material, and you have the shape or architecture of the skin, and you have the sensing, and you have the artistic part, this component. When you look to them, which one is significant in that case for you? That's a very good question because that's uh, something I'm always uh, asking myself and I'm always changing. Every single month, I have a different opinion. And so I can tell you what is my opinion right now and maybe it will be a different opinion in a couple of months. Um, right now, I think what matters the most is the relevance of the technology we are developing. And so from this perspective, I think the artistic aspect is more uh, important right now because uh, creating a weird or uncanny technology, that's also um, like the, when the, the people, the, the, everybody see that, they will question their own interaction with technology and they will question their own desires of technologies. And that's something today that I think is really relevant. And then from this perspective, an art piece in the museum can question more the use of technology than a research paper, right? And so, yeah, and then so right now that's that's what I believe. Like like few months ago, I believed that 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 creating some open source tool, open hardware tool for the students and for the PhDs and for the for the researchers uh, was the way. To, to 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 enhance uh, technology but right now there, there is also this uh, the thing that do we need to always push technology and technical innovation or high technical innovation and that's something that I really questioning that's why I'm, I'm trying to exploring uh, as I say at the beginning of this podcast uh, new materials and alternatives that may might be a bit more uh, sustainable but also a bit more resilient into the way the robots behave, into the way robots look and feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's... Uh, maybe a quick question. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. I What's just that? wanted to say that that's something that is always evolving. Uh, it depends on the, like on the, the news feed <laughs> I'm reading and on the technologies I see that are, that are employed at large scale. And that also depends at where I want to contribute and basically it's an ethical ethical question and ethical position mm -hmm. that I think right here yeah. I yeah yeah I really like the part where you say that piece for art maybe express more than a research paper and you really the first one I can hear the statement about expressing that aren't you afraid that because I think in maybe it's a majority that research paper it's uh first thing but now you mentioned something I think interesting are you maybe I don't know afraid of this way of thinking because it's not traditional maybe um i i, I could be afraid of how the peers are seeing my work because it's weird it's uncanny and it's unusual and it okay. might not fit into the research canon that's something that that i could be afraid yet i am not uh why because so First, when I released my uncanny project, and now I have like a human, uh, realistic human, uh, human-like eye. I mean, that it's really like visual and very strong, very emotional uh, pieces. And so obviously there is a lot of comments online and I got a lot of like mean comments or like people asking like, oh, why this guy is doing that? He's crazy or whatever. And, and for, from the research peers, I also had a bit this, uh, this, 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 those questions uh, for the for the for the few years, the the first project, the creepy project I made, like people were, uh, why why you are doing that? And this <laughs> case should be judged. But now I, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, afraid. I, I'm I'm okay to fit in in not. Uh, I'm I'm okay to not fit in any case, like predefined case. Because what I do love about this position that I have right now is that. You know, when people see my work, whether they like it or they don't like it, they have an emotional reaction. And that's something that truly matters to me. And, and, and 
obviously because it's I'm a researcher I, I want to characterize my technology I want to, to disseminate the technology so I'm trying to make some I'm making some serious work out of that so I'm not afraid of being judged because I know that the work like the technical work behind that is solid at least I try to make it solid but uh, but you know it, it's quite fun research is also about fun right I, I, I want to create things that are fun to me so I'm making that fun yeah 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 I agree with you so maybe question left but I want to ask you since we have mentioned this component and the first example we mentioned that the shape and the energy if you minimize the energy with the shape if we apply that to the skin here how do you see you can embed intelligence without using for, for example like complex shape for sensor whatever just to be simple and intelligent without many component so uh, can you see this applied yeah i really believe in the the power of um i would say that of the like all the, those low power circuits you know like a rfid or whatever that and and that can use heat uh that can use energy made out of friction out out of movement out of natural uses and so in this context, I really, I really believe into that. And that's something that uh, will be very valuable for, for the future of uh, soft robotics. However, I, I don't see any uh, concrete implementation yet. I just I have the gut feeling that it's something uh, that we should more look more into it uh, from a sustainability perspective, from a material perspective, and for a user interaction perspective. But that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe Kokoshi, this is something before you yeah, have been but now working many years in this domain, this combining this all together. But there's something you wish to you know at the beginning to save the time to maybe sometimes I wish I know that before and take you a longer time. Oh uh, so. that's that's a good question, but you know I I don't like like everything or nothing, you know. That that I, I'm 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 very glad to have failed. I'm very glad to uh to you know, to have yeah, to have taking like years doing stupid things because that's part of the learning process, and now that's something I can I can transmit to uh, the students, and that's how we build uh, how we build knowledge uh, at a society scale. So th- I I never I never told myself oh I wish I knew that before. Also because uh, having some strong uh, a priori about technology and how we should be implemented how we should look like that's something that also is drawing you driving you away from creativity and not knowing anything about technology not knowing uh, anything about research being naive on some topics that's where you can make some creative contribution i'm not saying meaningful contribution but i'm saying creative contribution yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe two questions left for aspiration and Maybe for aspiration, because you highlight many times the creative part and having accessibility for maybe expensive setup, maybe expensive equipment. Does that change the way of thinking of the design? Because uh, no, it will not change. Because I'm, I'm, I'm. That's not because I do have a lot of. And here in my life, I do have a lot of expensive equipments. But that's that's. I, I'm not making research for, like, for my for 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 myself or for the paper or for the state of the art. But I'm making research for accessibility, for for open source, for open hardware, for education, and so that's why I always try to go back to simple uh, solutions. And those days, I'm even like exploring the low-tech alternatives. So how can you use technology that are not powered? Uh, how can you make some some like some simple mechanical uh, devices that were made with uh, Servo motors, for instance, you can make like mechanical version of that, and so I'm even like going back to more simple and again uh, more resilient technologies that are something uh, deeply rooted into into the the human knowledge for centuries. Mm-hmm. And what is your aspiration when it looks to what you do now? Do you have any ideas about I don't know any other feature or aspiration? Where do you want to go? Where do I want to go? Hmm. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm more and more critical toward technology, the way we implement it and the way we research it these days. Because it's always 
not considering the resources we have in the planet. And that's that's something like, okay, we can we can think of something that uses an infinite amount of motors, but we cannot build an infinite amount of motors because we have some hardware limits that are the planet Earth. And, and so, so I'm, I'm really uh, now like, I, I don't know, to be honest, I am, I'm, I'm trying to explore new ways of thinking technology. And so I don't see uh, a technological develop, a strong technological development from this point now that is following the same uh, principle of research as we are used to conduct it since, since the past hundred years or so. So now I'm more thinking into what are the radical ways to rethink the futures or what are the critical points we should investigate right now to create alternative materials or alternative robots uh, or yeah, whatever, more resilient robots and so on. So again, uh, the, 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 the future I see, the aspiration, it's not something that is following the current line of research we are conducting. But I want a radical change, uh, something like critical and uh, deeply refactor of the the fabrication process or, or the understanding of technology. Excellent. Now, I love the question. Maybe if there's advice was given to you and it was a life-changing advice, maybe in the career or life, and stick to your mind, this advice was truly meaningful to you. I'm not sure uh, I had a strong... Uh, given advice, but something that stick with me, that that's not because somebody told you, you should not do that, or it's impossible to do that, that you sh should listen to them. And then when I built my project, I had tons of people, researchers arguing of whether I should do that or not, I should continue exploring, or telling me, oh, it's impossible to create what you want to create. And I kept, uh, I kept doing it anywhere and and that's something uh that's yeah that maybe an advice that someone gave me one day but that's something that really stuck with me and that's something i, I want also to transmit and to share like even me I, I i am wrong when i tell my students oh you should not do it this way but they are trying and usually they are <laughs> they are figuring out how to do it so yeah, yeah. and that's that's something that's very important that's something very important Absolutely, I agree with you. I don't know if you have any final words like to say for people listening for false community. Any final words? The final word, I think, I think that today it's crucial to think of the materiality of soft robotics and the goals of those robotics. And the goals should not be driven towards, should not be towards like creating new devices again. Uh, or, or like enhancing, uh, advancing the whole uh, human race by introducing new technologies. But it should be more, okay, how we can use SOPS Robotics to, to create more resilient versions of what we currently have. And that's something that, that should really matters because, because, well, we have cons material constraints, the time is pressing, we, we will face other major issues. And if we have more resilient technologies, I think it's going to be much easier to to build and to rethink of the the the, the, the future of manufacturing processes. That's something that should matter. <laughs>